Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You know Alan coming from The Good Wife on uh, CBS. Uh, also, he was, he's been in some movies like X-Men and uh, Spy Kids, GoldenEye, Emma. I know him because he, uh, about a year ago, did me a huge favor. I, didn't, I, I never actually met the guy, but my literary agent, uh, the guy who helped me um, get 10% Happier out into the world when none of the publishers wanted to buy it, my literary agent, who is an awesome guy uh, named Luke Janklow, uh, also uh, represents Alan Cumming. And when I was first uh, trying to launch the 10% Happier app, I wanted to get some uh, well-known people to try it and make little videos of it. And so I, uh, Luke connected me with Alan and we emailed. And even though he didn't know me at all, he agreed to do it, which was really cool of him. Um, and he made these hilarious little videos. You can, you can see them on the interweb if you look it up. So uh, when I heard he had a new book out, I, I wanted to get him in to, to be on the podcast and got to meet him in person for the first time. And uh, he's incredibly funny. Um, and uh, you will hear him. Uh, he will make you laugh. He'll make you think. And he will make fun of me. Here he is. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Alan, great to meet you. You too, Dan. Yes, finally. Uh, you, you, you've been such a pleasant presence in my life when you popped up, but I've, ever, I've never actually met you in person. I've I seen know. you on video and on email. Um, uh, let me start with the question that we kind of focus on here, which is, are you still meditating? Yes, I am. No, I mean, I've kind of dropped off the wagon or whatever you call it, mm-hmm. fallen off the wagon a little bit, but no, I still do it. Yeah. How did you start? I just started doing it myself. I just started like kind of just like closing my eyes and just kind of having, you know, realizing that it would be really nice to just block everything out for a while. <laughs> How'd that go for you? Pretty well. Really? Yeah. You were able I mean, to like literally block everything out. Like, you know, just sometimes when you think I could get really stressed out by this or people are really annoying me or, you know, I could um, something I, I would I'm going to make an executive decision with my brain to just go go inside for a little gotcha. bit. That's, gotcha. That's really. So that's why I started doing and then I wanted to try and formalize it a bit more and you know and kind of try and make it more um have more of a practice at it instead of just it being in crisis moments or else just at times when I would think I I think sometimes you do it without realizing when you have when you have a, a, a you know when your life changes and you have like very very quiet time I was just in Scotland in this island called Bara and I was there on my own for a couple of days and I felt very I felt like I'd done a lot of meditation without actually doing it in the way that I normally would do it, which would be to kind of, you know, sequester myself and really focus on it. When, you, when you're when you doing it formally, yes. what do you do? What's your what's your? I sit technique? on, a, I sit on, a, on, a, on a, a low chair. I have my I have my hands on my knees, and I, um, it's, and I breathe. I start to breathe. I start to th- think about my breathing. And just then I just feel the breath coming in and going out. And I try to do, I mean, I love that. The thing I've got written in my book, actually, from your um, audio thing, is um, respond, don't react. Yeah, well, that's my favorite thing. That really stuck out to you. Yeah. You, I should just tell everybody that you were very kind, even though we didn't know each other. We have one mutual friend who asked you when I was launching the Ten Percent Happier app whether you would try it out and maybe make some little videos on your phone and talk about your experience, and you did, which I'm eternally grateful for. And um, 
and they were totally, they were incredibly charming, which is not surprising <laughs> at all, given what we know about you. And the thing that really stuck out to you, which is what we're finding with a lot of our users, is respond, not react. Is, it, is that being a popular thing? Yeah. I think we need to make T-shirts that say mm-hmm. it. Why is it, what, what speaks to you about that? It was really because it was something I realized I did hugely and had not and had not questioned at all. It was like someone suddenly kind of, you know, peeling off their face and it's someone, you know, and it was a completely different person. And I was like, what? And and it's so it's just something uh, it, it makes such sense to just I mean, I guess it's the whole thing in microcosm for me, I suppose. It's just like take a step back and just sort of think, OK, hmm. What's the best situation here? What's the best way to deal with this? And then, and then make a make a kind of qualified and uh, and um, studied decision. Are you, how you're going to respond? I mean, look. I mean, I I will say. I mean, I've been meditating for a couple of years now. Uh, is it become a guiding principle in my life? But I fail all the time. So, are you are you able to implement it with any success? Responding and not reacting. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I'm actually. I, 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 and also, yes, I think I, I actually am very, um, and I have, I've noticed it with other people, like, like I, that people around me, I, I'll say, okay, don't, just, don't reply to that email right now. Just, let's just wait a minute. Let's just, you know, let's rest and let's see how we feel after five minutes. I feel, I still struggle with that. Right. I mean, it's a struggle. It's a con- I'm sure it's a constant struggle. I mean, I want a lot of, you know, but I think actually I've got, I think I have got better at that. And I think I have um, it sort of passed that into my, you know, Community, a little. really? Yeah, I, I do. Especially with, like with Jimmy, my assistant. I'm thinking about right now, very much so. That yeah, I, I, I even yesterday there was a thing where he was responding. He was, how about that? He showed me the thing. I was like, that no. He showed just, you the email he was about to send. Yeah, and I said, take that paragraph out. Let's just not do that. So let's just leave it. Let's just you know, it's not because I think. Um. I mean, my mum always says, and I think it's a really lovely thing that you know you that there's. You, um, she also says it's, it's not you know it doesn't cost anything to be nice, and and I feel like any situation there there is no situation in the world that cannot be um, dealt with better than than with kindness. I think you know even when you want to punch someone in the face, um, stick a step back and and try and be kind about it, and um, it it will go better. Amen. Mm-hmm. But easier said than done. In yes. Some cases. Yes. Easier said than done. But it's, I think it's, that's the thing like with meditation. If you just you have to kind of like sort of hypnotize yourself into, I mean, it is like that, isn't it? It's just kind of mesmerizing yourself into um, a pattern. I think about it more like training. It's just like, uh, you know, we train ourselves in the gym. Yeah. You train your vocal cords to sing. Yeah. We, it's a skill. You just get better and exactly. better at it. But I, I, I just... I, I just sort of think, I guess I think that's interesting. I, I think of... That you say training, I say mesmerizing. I think I, I think like I think I mesmerize my body into looking a certain way when I have, when I train. Huh. And I think I mesmer. I think my job is to mesmerize people. Well, you, you succeed at that. I will. I will. <laughs> I will say. Um, and I want to talk a lot about uh, your performing coming up. But just on the meditation tip, yes. as it were, um, you said, and I agree that it, uh, your mother's your mother's little maxim is amazing. Mm. You're wearing a hat right now that yeah. says "Make America Gay Again," which is an amazing hat. Um, do you think you could practice kindness with somebody like Donald Trump? Yes, I ca- I could. I mean, I think I because I feel that he's an example of the kind of person you absolutely should use kindness with because his modus operandi is completely to be mean and to be um, to be aggressive and to undercut someone and to insult someone and to 
you know, be offensive. So I think actually more so, I mean, that's, we're really talking a challenge, of course, but I think, I mean, if I was in a room with Donald Trump and I wanted to have a conversation with him, I would absolutely try and do it with great dignity and kindness because I think that's, he expects people not to have those qualities. He lives in a world where people don't have those qualities and that's what he's trying to sell to the world, to America right now. And so I think absolutely all the more reason to remind him that it is possible. You you think that kind of approach would have worked with your dad, who you write about quite movingly in your new book, You Gotta Get Bigger Dreams? Uh, I'm holding a I'm holding a galley copy, which is not this isn't the way it actually looks. And um, you and in your this is your third book. Yeah. Your previous book, Not My Father's Son, which was a New York Times bestseller, yeah. in which you really talk, you I really talk excavate that yeah. relationship. Yeah. So um, I just I wonder um, would this ethos work in that context? Well, I, I mean, I think the very fact that I have that ethos is is, a, is completely due to the fact that I am my father's son, and that's you know. I've learned a lot about how to deal with people and difficult people from from my early life. But I, I also think, yes, I, w- I would definitely try to. I mean, as an adult, I would try to. As a child, I didn't have much choice. But I definitely, I didn't really ever do anything. I mean, aside from one time when I went to confront my father with my brother when I was an, an adult. And I still was kind. I was just more blunt with him. Is but, he still around? No, he died. But also, I mean, I think he's also, my father was, um, it's difficult when someone I think is mentally ill or has, or has personality disorders. It's diff- those kind of rules are harder to um, use, you know, the kindness and the kind of logic because someone is not, someone is illogical and, you know, you won't get reason from an unreasonable person. How bad did it get? Because in this, in the new book, you make kind of oblique references to yeah. it. Um, you, you just in, I ripped a page out because I was curious <laughs> about it, um, and I wanted to ask you about it. You, you're talking about how in, in this page, um, how you, you're a party animal and you love going out at night, and um, you thought for a while that your your eagerness to dance and have fun was because uh, you never had unadulterated joy, or you rarely had unadulterated joy as a child. Mm. How bad did it get? Um, it got. It was. I mean, it was more. I mean, he was very violent sometimes. Very violent, like throwing me. You know, I flew across the room and with the force of his, you know, strike. But but it was more really this uh, this this kind of um, atmosphere of of absolute fear and 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 silence. It was just. I remember my childhood being so silent and just being in a constant state of anxiety about when he was going to erupt next and just what I was going to do to, um, you know, make him explode and get violent with me. So it was, it was, it was, it was, I mean, in a way, I think that's a more potent and terrifying thing is that is this overlying foreboding and just complete, you know, terror, real terror. So that, that's, that was my childhood. That was like, you know, a really large part of my childhood, just, and I remember it just being incredibly silent, like nobody speaking, everyone just, you just would, knew it would be better to get through if you just kept your head down. And, and I understand that now. I've been in other situations where I have worked with tyrants and I see how people, the best way to deal with them actually is to keep your head down and you know move forward and 
don't, not to draw attention to yourself. But that, you know, that just for those of us who see your performances mm. in, you know, The Good Wife or on stage at Cabaret or um, uh, other movies you've done like Spy Kids or X-Men, mm. um, I, I don't pick up even a whiff of an unhappy child. You seem so oh. comfortable in your own skin. Oh, I am. I am now. Um, but I don't, you know, I think that's also... That's what, in a way, that's what my first, my last book was about, was about how you can, and why I, I'm really, really glad I wrote it. I, was, I didn't expect this kind of part of the process, but like being, being able to tell people that you can overcome and sort of rise up from something really, really debilitating and potentially completely damaging and have a life that is joyful and successful. And I mean that and not in anything to do with my work. How do you do it? Um, I, I mean, I think I'm a very strong-willed person, and I, I you know, the, in my, I talk about in, in, in the last book a decision I made to, to um, not allow shame into my life. And I don't know what, I don't know how that happened, but I, I remember the moment precisely when I rejected shame. And I think I, kind of like the way that meditation works, mesmerized myself or trained myself into just thinking, no, like you know. It wasn't easy, and there was it was lots of hiccups along the way. But like saying, "I'm good enough, I'm fine," it, it wasn't me, and I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to move forward, and and not let this baggage um, from my past dictate my present or my future. I I think that's and uh, to do that through sheer force of will is, or at least in part through sheer force of will, is some, pretty amazing. You know, some, therapy along the yeah, way. Yeah, well, I have no, nothing against therapy. It's, that's all good in my book. Um, uh, but you mentioned meditation there. To the extent that you said you, you kind of fall off the wagon or get back on the wagon, yeah. what do you, I'm always curious about this. What, why is it a hard habit to make an abiding one? For me, it's because of lack of routine in my life. It's, it's really, when I have a routine, I mean, I, you know, I'm an actor and I'm, I do like this. If you saw my you know, book with all my schedule for the last couple of weeks. It's been crazy. In the last week, I've been, you know, in uh, the remote Western Isles of Scotland, Lebanon, back to London, Edinburgh, New York, LA, New York. It's really in the last week, and now I'm on a book tour, and I'm I'm here till Friday, and then I go off again. So it, I don't have a... I mean, I really do crave. That's why I love when I'm in a play. I love going to work at the same time every mm. day. I love, you know eating my meals I mean it sounds really sort of pedantic and I know because a lot of people who have that kind of are bored of it and wish they had more of a kind of oh I'm flying off to here today but but I but I think that's what is makes it things like meditation difficult for me is that I don't have a pattern like I do this at this time and I like I even just right now I'm you know, I've got my swimming costume in my bag because I have an hour later I'm going to go swimming because I really crave, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like, I feel swimming is a very meditative thing, actually. Yes. I, I, I love that, just yes. like that quiet and that, and I really get to think. And also nobody recognizes me, you know, in a swimming pool. That's really good. Like in a gym, people see you in sweating. And Does that get annoying? Kind. People recognizing you? Um. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, on the one hand, I could see how it would be annoying, but also, <laughs> if people aren't recognizing you, th the fact that people are recognizing you is a sign that you're doing something right, that you've achieved a su success, that you've, your performances are memorable, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of I don't really quantify it in that way. And I, I, mean, I get, I wonder what would happen if, I mean, I remember one time when I was 40, so quite a long time ago. What? I, really? Yeah, I'm 51. 
You wear it well. Do you Why? sleep in formaldehyde? <laughs> no, I don't. I sleep in not enough, not enough of it. Um, <laughs> uh, at least last, not last night. As DJing at my own book launch party, um, and then I, I guess it was such fun. I kept on DJing even after the party was finished, and it became another party. And then the real DJ got jealous and chucked me out. I got like blocked by a DJ. Oh, sorry, um, DJ blocked. But um, no, when I on the night, you know, when you get when you have these big birthdays, you have a sort of you know reckoning and yes. maybe a little flip out. Mm-hmm. And my flip out on my the night before my fortieth birthday was I was weeping. I mean, I was a hot, I'd had a few drinks, of course. I was weeping. I'm just like, Ugh. and um, Grant, my uh, husband said to him, what is it? What is it? And I just went, I don't want to be famous anymore. And I I was at the Sundance Film Festival, which I don't know if you've been to that. It's just, no. it's like, I was there for like a whole week and I was, I had a film there, but also I was doing this thing for the Sundance Channel, interviewing people. It felt like people hitting your your head like this all mm-hmm. day, all mm-hmm. like 24 hours a day. That's what it feels like, just people, people at you, people. And it's, it's got these little you know, fences along the main street so you can't cross the road. So you've just it's just so intense. And I and I and I just said I reached my ceiling with it, with people and, and, and it, you know, and it's a kind of a, it's like a celebrity petting zoo. There's a, that happens quite a lot in those situations. And but I realized I had this why I was sad as well, was I realized even if I stopped, didn't never made another film, never did another performance or anything, it would go on for such a long time, even without me doing anything to exacerbate it. What if you stopped it and it all went away? Would you miss it? Um, I'd, well, I don't know. I mean, who knows? That's 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 kind of my point. It, it, because it won't go away. It would it would go away a long. It'd be, it'd be a long time before it did right. totally go away. Because of the long tail of the work you've already done. <clears throat> yeah, because I'm old, and, I've, and you know, because you're just it's just old things are on TV all the time, and people remember you, and yeah. and so it wouldn't just stop right now. So it's so it's it's actually a kind of. It was actually a very liberating thing because I thought I like what I do, I like the fact I get to do what I want. I like this life I have. Part of part of why I can do things like write this book or you know this film I was in earlier this year and get this film made is because I'm in quite um, mainstream things that a lot of people watch, and so I earn. It's like a kind of deposit. I have a mm-hmm. I, I get mm-hmm. something from the fame bank and I can <laughs> deposit in the in the obscure arty bank. And I really like that transaction. So um, it's actually all right. It's all going fine, but I can't get off. But 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 if I'm at home and I'm listening to this interview, my headphones or whatever, I, I can imagine some people saying, "Oh, I mean, this is a high class problem being famous." Oh, to- of course it is. Yes. Oh, I'm not. I'm not pretending otherwise. I'm not, and I'm not mourning. I'm actually saying you I were on your fortieth birthday. I wasn't moaning. I was bemoaning. <laughs> I think I was. I was. You know, I was having a realization. Actually, I was having a realization. And I don't. You know, there's things about it. There's you reach your ceiling sometimes in certain situations where you're in a public situation, and it's just feel, you feel like, like I say, this thing of being just being people tapping your yeah. face, like it's like you're being tortured. Mm. Of, of, and it's not torture, of course. It's just, but it's just like you have no no time for yourself, nothing for you, and um. And so I've developed a way to live my life where I can have it all, I think. I have, I have the benefits of, of what it brings. I do the things that I have to do. And I also live a life where I don't hide. And I've made myself, uh, you know, 
exist in the in the in in the in the public world. I haven't cut myself off, and I think that's that's the way to go. It's all again. It's all you know. A, a transaction and a negotiation to find the kind of life that you want to live, and right. I want to be able to walk along the streets and have fun and not and go to bars and not worry about people, you know, not being in the papers for doing something ridiculous. I think I've I think I've managed to craft a life for myself where I can be who I want to be and still be the personality in the world that allows me to do the kind of work I want to do. The Taste the Mediterranean sales event is going on now through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. It's a store-wide event packed with flavor. My family and I are regulars at Whole Foods Market. We've got one, I think, less than a mile and a half away from our house. This Taste the Mediterranean thing sounds pretty cool. Uh, They've got Mediterranean-inspired flavors. You can save on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie, and ground lamb. They've got delectable seafood choices. You can save on whole branzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, which is a regular feature at our dinners in this house. My son loves that salmon from Whole Foods. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out all of the uh, 365 by Whole Foods Market products. Stock up on wallet-happy Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat, pita pockets, and more. I am constantly consuming these 365 products, including the the raw cashews, which I snack on all the time. We love the 365 sea salt and pepper. Uh, We love their sushi rice. You get the picture. Go check it out. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations for every type of thriller listener. The selection over on Audible when it comes to true crime, mystery, and thriller is um, quite extensive. They've got John Grisham, tons of stuff by Stephen King, David Baldacci. My favorite that I've checked out recently in the crime fiction genre is called Age of Vice. It's by Deepthi Kapoor. It came out uh, not long ago. Not only is it thrilling and uh, very, very plotty, but it's also written incredibly well. It's truly literature. Deepthi Kapoor is a a force of nature as a writer. Age of Vice, it takes you into the uh, underworld in New Delhi in India. I absolutely love that one. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. I'm just studying up for this podcast. I mean, the array of things you do is just dizzying. You tour and do, uh, I may get this wrong, is it Alan Cummings sings sappy songs? That's correct. So you sing songs all over the place, all over the world. Mm. You are in t- t- on TV shows. You're in movies. You're this, As we said, this is your third book. That's a lot to 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 keep on the track um so let me ask you about this new book you got to get bigger dreams uh my life in stories and pictures um what was the what was the impetus for writing this book well actually i i, I wanted to do a book like this for a while before I, before my last one actually because some of the stories 
you know, like the, the Gore Vidal story is a story about a weekend I spent with Gore Vidal. And I, I, that was in 2001. And I wrote it quite soon afterwards, in the next couple of years after that. So that's a long time ago. So I've had these, uh, and then I've updated it and kind of added to it. But some of these stories were, you know, from a long time ago. And a lot of the photos are from a long time ago. So I was kind of like doing that, having a little, doing a little bit of writing, trying to get a collection together. And then all the stuff happened um, with my father and and, uh, and my grandfather in 2010. And that's why I wrote Not My Father's Son. So in a way, this is the book that I kind of meant to write right. a while ago. And, and then circumstances dictated you know, so so going back to it was was really nice because I felt a little more confident, and um, also I felt like I I'd already written a book very revealing about my life, and now this was a book that was more about a kind of more fun side of my life mostly, and it was I think photos are a good way, you know, literally a snapshot into into my life because I am doing what Gore Vidal told me to do. I'm you know I'm talking, I meet fascinating people like him, and I write about them and analyze them. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I wanted to call this book, I am writing this because Gore Vidal told me to, <laughs> but they wouldn't let me because it was too long. Because <laughs> that's well, why I called the stories called that, about him. You got to get big, uh, you got to get bigger dreams. Where does that come from? That comes from something that Oprah said, um, because I, my friend Eddie is an absolute Oprah nut and Oprah was being honored by the Ellie, um, how do you say it, Wiesel? Ellie Wiesel. Wiesel yeah. Foundation. Uh, that dearly departed, and um, so I, I got invited to this thing, and I was so I took Eddie as my date, knowing that he would freak out because Oprah was going to be there, and so we went to it, and this, this is a long, quite a long story in the book, but basically, at the end of the year, towards in the middle of the evening, actually, I realised he was, I was kind of zooming in on Oprah and trying to get him kind of in the, because he was just so desperate for a photo, and I was like, Eddie, I'm not sure that's going to be possible, and you know how much you hate it when people come and bug me when we're having dinner, and and he was like, I know, I know, I see your point, but. I still want a photo. <laughs> and so I realized that she was starting to walk towards us because we were like by the loos and she was coming to the loos after, in the dinner break of this um, ceremony. And I was like, she's coming, she's coming. So I was kind of trying to unzoom my camera and I hear Eddie in this little piping choir boy voice going, Oprah, may I have a photo with you? It would be my dream. And Oprah said, you got to get bigger dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was so, and I took this awful picture. I mean, it's a, it's a great picture, but it's not, you know, technically kind of awful. Half of Oprah's face is in it, looking beatific. And then all of Eddie's face is blurred and m- manic looking. And it was completely the essence of that moment. <laughs> Oprah cannot be fully there. She's a goddess. But and I thought that even in that moment of huge annoyance, it must be endless. I mean, I, it happens to me a lot. I can't imagine what it must be like for Oprah. Constantly not when you when you take a step in a public situation, constantly been asked for photographs as people wanted to grab you. Even in that moment, she managed to impart some wisdom. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she was right. Eddie should have bigger dreams. His dreams shouldn't be just to have a photo with Oprah. You know what I mean? And now she has released him to have bigger dreams because he's, he's got that one. Very cool. What do you, what would you, how would you describe your career ambitions? What are your, to, to quote Oprah, what are your bigger dreams at age 51, having achieved so much? What do you want to do? Um, I would like to. I would like to maintain. I like. I actually really enjoy. I've never had idols or dreams in that way. I've never had. You know. I think, especially in America, people have put so much onus on um, achievements and goals mm-hmm. and things like that. And I feel like everyone's constantly on this. You know, kind of 
striving for for a for a, a, an end when actually they're missing the journey and you know missing the present and i so i've always been very wary of that i don't really have dreams i mean i don't really have there's nothing right now that i'm thinking oh i really want to do this you're just enjoying the ride i am and i think i've always been like that i really do i mean my one thing i wanted to do when i was at drama school was to work at the citizens theater in glasgow because they just did really great i mean it was so stylish and chic i thought it was just the beautiful design and they did all these funny european plays that you know nobody ever had heard of and I'd seen, and I just thought it was so, I loved it. And it was in this theatre in the middle of the Gorbals, which is this very kind of working class area. And I just loved everything about it. That, and it was really cheap to go. Well, it was obviously subsidised by the government, of course. But I just, everything about it, I just wanted to be a part of. That was my dream. And uh, did you achieve it? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you still bitter? Uh, no, I'm kind of like, because it's sort of like, ah, ha, ah, ah. ha. I mean, I, I, um, <laughs> I remember when, I worked for the touring company and I thought that was so exciting. And then they actually, I got a phone call from the director of it saying, and he, he called me up at home. I was like, oh, this is it, this is it. And, he, and they said, we would love you to come and join the company. I was like, oh. and he said, we'd love you to play Pinocchio in our Christmas show. And I was like, fuck you, mister. <laughs> so, because it was always a thing, they would always employ like Scottish people in the Christmas show to do the kind of dopey Christmas show and then not, and not give those people jobs in the proper season. So I, I and also I was doing something anyway. I wasn't free, but I, but they've, they've asked me since. And also, it's a different. It's different people do it now. It's not the same at all. So it was just a kind of a, you know, it was a magical time for a few years when the, just it was it was just something I really really wanted to do. But I've never since then. I really do feel. I feel like I've tumbled through life, and I know that's annoying for people because it looks like I'm this captain of industry of my own, you know, brand or whatever, and I'm not. I just think things would be fun and I do them and of course you know I <laughs> also you have ta- just you're, you probably can't say this but you also have a lot of talent I mean that I'm, I'm talented yeah, yeah I know I, I mean I, I don't think them yeah but so lots of people are talented you know I, I do I mean I also think it's really annoying when actors say I'm so lucky and blah 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 and hashtag blessed and everything all those <laughs> annoying things I have a huge problem with hashtag oh blessed. me too I think it's a lazy thing to say to not analyze and to not it just, I just think it's just not, it don't, I don't like it. I also feel it's like a humble brag. You know what I mean? It's like I love saying, humble brag, look, yeah. Look at, look, at, uh, look at my amazing life. Look at my uh, private plane. I'm blessed. It's yes. just a, like a way to kind of take the edge off of bragging. Totally, totally. It kind of preempts it. It's sort of, uh, yeah, I love that humble brag. Um, uh, hum- Do you follow that on Twitter? No, I mean, I'm aware of it. I don't follow it. Yeah, but- they, don't, they haven't done much recently, but I, I just love it. Um, but yeah, I hate all that. Uh, but I do feel also at the same time incredibly lucky. I think you know, my I am an example of of, of uh, someone who benefited from circumstance, <clears throat> luck, uh, you know, the confluence of various circumstances. And of course, I am quite talented. But so are many people, and there's many more people, much more talented than me. Maybe they don't have the kind of social skills. Maybe they don't have, you know. There's, but I do feel that it's it's to be in my position, being the kind of person I am. It's completely arbitrary and uh, to do with just, you know, the fates. One more question before I let you go and get into your swimming costume and uh, <laughs> go swimming. Um, you and this is a kind of a heavy way to end, but you just did a pretty serious thing, which is you went to Lebanon and worked for the UN High Commissioner on Refugees. Yeah. Why did you want to do that? What did you learn? I wanted to do that because I've just been sort of 
over the last few years, you know, looking at the refugee crisis and with horror and, you know, and all these awful things of these boats and people drowning in the Mediterranean and, uh, and also seeing how much the, 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 that a, a, a massive displacement like that from in Syria and Iraq has affected so much of Europe, like, you know, really devastating uh, the relations within various countries and bringing up really horrible opinions in people. And Brexit, you know, I think the whole Brexit thing was completely influenced by 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 the by the Syrian refugee crisis and the worry of the other and all these people coming in and and you know and and Britain has also had a lot. It's been a building thing of um, you know ref, um, asylum seekers from other countries and and you here of course we're all this, the immigrant word is just completely a, a touchstone of venom and vileness and racism and xenophobia and I think that's completely to do. With, I think you know the world's in this time of everything changing and people moving and being displaced and so it's it's affecting everything and I really wanted to go and just go back to the root of it and see actually what it was like that's that's really why that was my you know why I wanted to go what did you see I saw like just people who have had to give up everything and just want to go back home and they are in these situations that are so bleak and they are, many of them are still in danger. And many, you know, these kids that are born in these little shelters have no, have had never had any other life than being a refugee. And they're in this kind of little, kind of lean-to with plastic sheeting and, and they're with nothing. And their money, if any savings they had, it's five years now, it's, it's running out. You see um, Lebanon, the country of Lebanon, straining at the seams to deal with 30% of the population of Lebanon are, are now refugees. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Already a country that had its own problems. Exactly. So you just add this on top. And it's, you know, and, and what's, and I, and, and, I, and I met people who, you know, told me stories of such, what they've been through is, is incomprehensible to me, like to, to have survived, to have, you know, and I'm someone who's been through things and I feel I've, transcended really dark things in my life but just perhaps because of that seeing that in other people young people who saw their friends being you know there's a whole LGBT program in the UN uh, refugees because a lot of these kids that come out if they are LGBT they're still in danger and sometimes the the country they might be resettled in will not accept them Mm. and they can't go back They, they can't go back not just because they're town is you know still being bombed or, or the ISIS is controlling it because if they go back they'll be killed immediately because they're gay um, and I you know I heard them say like they saw their friends being thrown off roofs they were raped and electrocuted and burned sometimes by their own families and it, it, I saw I think there was some a man held my hand and said Alan you've got to you've got to tell the world we need to be resettled it's dangerous for us here in Lebanon hmm. it's still you know they could still be re exp, exp, uh, expatriated back to Syria or Iraq and immediately killed. So I, it was just this, I mean, overall I felt like I, I met a lot of people who are not scary, are not aggressive towards America or the West, quite the reverse. They are being helped by a great institution like the UN, really, really helped, relying on it. But all they want to do is to go back and have the life that they used to have before all this started so that was a 
and I re- and I realized that you know hey look this is great we're talking about it now I realized this would happen and I feel that I think it's really good to remind people that don't buy into this rhetoric of hatred and fear that really this situation is being caused by they're running from the people we're afraid of too they're not the people we should be afraid of and they're not trying to scare us actually so that was that was really what I learned and that and that the UNHCR is an amazing organization and we should try and do and you know, it's, it's sort of an umbrella thing encompassing many other charities and NGOs and everything and but they coordinate everything and they've got a great system they I didn't realize this but they were set up after the second world war with the plan to only be in existence for a few years to help all the displaced people from 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 the second world war and you know, optimistic people, I know yeah. and you know sadly uh, after about 20 years the UN was like, I think we should keep you as a permanent mm-hmm. thing because, like, you know, this is probably going to continue, and it has. And yet, because of that, they have this great history of and system of how to deal with these situations. So, I was really, really impressed by that. And also, I'd met people who their entire life, their entire working life, has been going around the world helping refugees and making setting out systems for people to live in displaced situations. And I felt so full of admiration for them. Alan, I'm sensitive to your time. Let me just say thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for all your work, the work you're doing, including your new book, You Gotta Get Bigger Dreams. And thank you also for being nice to me when I you didn't even know me and I didn't deserve it for uh, for you know helping us launch the yeah, app. I like, and, I like and, you. I like you know. I feel people's energy and I feel I, I you know I I I responded to your. Uh, Essence, <laughs> my digital essence. Digital great, to, essence. great to meet you in the flesh. Yes, I really appreciate good. it, and and good luck on the rest of this book tour. All right, there's another edition of the Ten Percent Happier podcast. If you like it, I'm going to hit you up for a favor. Please subscribe to it, review it, and rate it. Uh, I want to also thank uh, the people who produce this podcast: Josh Cohan, Lauren Efron, Sarah Amos, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. And uh, hit me up at Twitter. Dan B. Harris. See you next time. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi. I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. 
the problem. This dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.